Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 KSRQ-FM and online worldwide at RadioNorthland.org. You can check out the archives or listen live to Wrestling Memories. It's a, an easy little hookup. I'm Glenn Broggett along with my co-host way down there deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, uh, definitely not uh, seeing what I'm seeing here at the, as we uh, of this taping today weather-wise. Uh, yeah, and he's probably better for it. It's uh, potentially going to turn to snow here. I don't think we have much snow but when it does happen down there it's uh rather eventful bring him on in from texas mr mike mccurdy the grizzled vet how are you my friend oh, i'm doing good man and enjoying some finally having the fall weather we're in the 70s so oh. you know here in texas that that's the comfort weather you know we we're not doing snow we did snow earlier this year, and well, Texas almost died. Yeah, I was going to say. We're, like, we're not going to get the snow. You can have that. They're going to declare <laughs> martial law there uh, just for a couple of flakes because, I mean, it's such an abnormal thing. But, yeah, 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 we're get, we're starting to deal with it. Uh, probably uh, when this show airs, we'll, we'll probably be in the aftermath of all of that snow. And, and we'll be in the aftermath of uh, a weekend uh, AEW Friday-Saturday double dip in the Twin Cities with Rampage and uh, the big... Uh, pay-per-view down there on saturday night uh, full gear uh so big time uh minnesota is on the map and i'm not able to make it to this one but if uh, i'm hoping this the, the the attendance is good i'm hoping the attention is right so they can come back and do it again hopefully because uh, minnesota and pro wrestling and big time pro wrestling needs to needs to work together i mean come on how many times would they did they dangle that carrot in front of us with wrestlemania with wrestlemania i almost called it wrestlemania but mike you know what i mean well, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to full gear this weekend. I'll watch it, uh, you know, after I get home and everything. So I'm looking forward to it. We always got good matches and all that. And like you said, you know, WrestleMania tickets are going on sale now at the time of this uh, recording. Mm-hmm. I scored mine through help of a friend. So my son, Owen, who, you know, our listeners have heard about before, yep. gets to experience his first WWE show with 100,000 other people at uh, AT&T Stadium. That's so, a memory, uh, man. That's that'll a be in memory. April, April 3rd. April third. That is a, that's a heck of a way to initiate yourself into uh, live uh, like a, a big time uh, live pro wrestling show. Man, he gets to go to WrestleMania. Like I said, McMahon, those guys have been teasing it off and on for years. Uh, I mean, we got that big U.S. Bank Stadium down here, uh, down in the Twin Cities, in this great state. Uh, one of these days, hopefully they'll get it right. But yeah, good on you for getting those tickets, man. That's that's really cool. Yeah, he, he's looking forward to it. He's excited. So I bet. Due to COVID, you know, things got delayed. So dad has to make up for it by taking them to WrestleMania, I guess. Yeah, because what we were talking about uh, originally, wasn't it, uh, you originally got tickets, was it for a, a Raw or a SmackDown? It was for a SmackDown TV taping at Dickey's Arena, and then uh, COVID struck like just a few months before that, and we know the world shut down. So it was supposed to be, then it was supposed to be a Raw taping, and then it just got canceled outright. Mm-hmm. And then they came in finally at Dickie's Arena for Money in the Bank uh, this last summer. Mm-hmm. So it was just a big old uh, trail there to get to uh, have a, the, a live show, uh, a WWE event. But yeah, that definitely uh, going to be some good stuff uh, for you and your son to enjoy. Uh, hey, we got to get back into the wrestling memory spirit. We got a great guest today, uh, someone that you have known for quite some time, who has put out a very uh, an intriguing collection of. Uh, Great interviews, and this is something that was called to my attention by both you and John Cosper at EatSleepWrestle.com. Uh, of course, John's been on the program before and has put out some very wonderful books uh, under that imprint. 
so, so Mike, I'm going to let you go in. I'll come back for a few uh, questions here and there, but I really want to hear more about our guest today because uh, just from run, I've been reading in the bio information. He's got a good story to tell. He's got a commitment to the pro wrestling business. And yes, he's got the nostalgia thing down to a T. So Mike, you take it away, my friend. I'm looking forward to this week's guest, man. Like you said, I've known him since I believe 2004 is, is when I met him at the, uh, up in Portland, Oregon, at the Cleaver Armory. It's in Portland Wrestling TV tapings for Frank Culbertson. Uh, he's the editor of Ring Around the Northwest Newsletter. 30 years of Ring Around the Northwest Newsletter. One of the best newsletters uh, during the time. So looking forward to speaking with him. His book, Excitement in the Air, The Voices of Northwest Wrestling, Volume 1, which I'm excited about because that means there's more volumes coming. Uh, he released this book with uh, John Cosper. Our guest today is Mr. Mike Rogers. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. It's, it's, I appreciate you having me on. Oh, definitely, man. As soon as I heard you had a book coming out, I reached out to you to have you come on as a guest and all that. So, you know, we, we like to help people promote their books, and we really love talking about wrestling history. And like I said in your intro, 30 years with Ring Around the Northwest newsletter, you've definitely got your place in wrestling history. So, you know, let's start off with that, you know, for our listeners who, you know, may not know about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of Ring Around the Northwest newsletter and how you got started and, you know, just kind of what led up to excitement in the air? Sure. I had a, a very good friend, Ken Hamlin, who did a bulletin, and it was called uh, Ring Around the World. And I helped him with that bulletin, and, and he put it out for a few years. And, and I told him I wanted to start a bulletin that just centered around the Northwest and we'd work together and I wanted to call it ring around the Northwest. And so in May of 1983, I started it and we didn't have computers and it was just on a typewriter and it was three pages. And I believe I charged 50 cents and uh, it was fun. So much fun to do. It was, wasn't very good, but it sure was a lot of fun. And I had, at that time, no contacts in the business. It was just my interpretation of what I was watching and the summary of, of uh, Portland Wrestling on TV. A few years later, um, a couple things happened. I, I met Ed Moretti, and Ed and I had uh, written each other. We'd corresponded a little bit, and we, we met each other at a at a shopping mall just happened to see him and started visiting and and it it was just like I had found my long lost brother and we became very very good friends and and that opened a, a lot of doors and also the other thing that opened a, a lot of doors was Dean Silverstone invited me to his reunion and his reunions are like cauliflower alley on on steroids back in, in those days and I'll, I'll never forget, when I walked into his, his house, I looked one direction and I saw Johnny Valentine and Ivan Koloff, and I looked in the other direction and I saw Don Leo Jonathan and Dean Higuchi, and the entire house was just filled with legends, and that was just so much fun. So back to the back to the bulletin, and that's how I met a lot of people that I ended up interviewing. As we go back to the bulletin for a moment, um, Scott Teal put out a bulletin for a while, and it was called Whatever Happened To. And he would just print little biographies of wrestlers, 
and what they were doing now. And he put it out as a way for some of the boys to reconnect with each other. But the most important thing from that was he would print their addresses. And so I said, I've got this three-page bulletin, and now I've got the first-generation computer coming along. Maybe I can reach out and get some interviews and make my bulletin a, a little bit better, a little bit longer. So I increased uh, to 10 pages, and I started having interviews. And, and uh, I was very, very fortunate to have some of the biggest names in wrestling uh, agree to do an interview for this little little two-bit bulletin. And uh, I was always very, very thankful of that. And some of the people that, that uh, I had interviews with that are in Volume 1 are, were Luthez, uh, Bull Ramos, uh, Ricky Hunter, uh, Bull Regard, and all these people you know, had their tours and their, their stays in the Northwest. And there's, there's 27 interviews in this, in this first volume. Now, you said you started the, uh, the Bolton in 83. I, I met you in 2004, so you've been going about 20 years with them. Uh, started off with three pages. When did you start adding the interviews, and who was your first interview? Probably about nine, uh, 1990, and I believe... My first interview, I believe, was with Rocky Montero. And it was not a very good interview. And it's in the book. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because so many of these people have, the wrestling fans have never heard from. And so it, when I say it's not a very good interview, it's not a very long interview. It doesn't delve into a lot of just details. But he says some very interesting things. Um, and it, that's kind of the interesting thing when you interview somebody is how forthright are they going to be? And that's, that's a fine line that you kind of walk, walk forward, you know, to, to see how it's going to go. Because, you know, that with so many of these wrestlers and, and they're balancing their kayfabe and how much they're going to open up and how well they know you, how comfortable they feel with you. So you're, you're just kind of gauging that and balancing that as, as your interview goes along. Now, we had uh, Scott Teal on, you just mentioned him, we had Scott Teal on the show uh, last week, and he talked about, you know, when you're writing about wrestling and you're doing these, you know, books and bulletins and things like that, you're not in it to make the money. This is not going to be, unless you're like, you know, Melter, you're not in it to make the money. This is not going to be your profit you know, job thing. Uh, if I recall right, you were a gym teacher. Uh, so, and you were doing this kind of just on the side as just a fun project that ended up going 30 years. Uh, when you started this and, you know, you kept going, you started getting interviews. Did you see it going 30 years? Not really. I just kept, kept doing it because I was having fun. I was really enjoying it. Um, you know, and, and, as it got going, it was like, gosh, I've been doing this 20 years and then 25 years. And, and I hit 30 years. And <clears throat> to be honest, I would have kept going. But every month I'd go to the local Xerox place. And I would buy a, a printing card for $100. And I think that would get you 
a thousand copies. And uh, one day I, I walked in and they go, no, we don't have the, the printing cards anymore, the copy cards where you could buy the bulk rate. And our price has gone up to 12 cents a page. And I did some quick math and uh, said, well, my bulletin's a dollar and I'm having less subscribers here at this time. And now it's going to cost well over a dollar to print it. And then there's postage. I said, "I, I guess the time has come that it's just time to hang it up. And 30 years was seemed like a good stopping point. And so that's, that's why I stopped. It was just kind of a, a money thing. I, I never made money really on the bulletin, but I didn't want to lose money either. Oh, definitely. I remember when I met you, uh, Cleaver Armory, you'd show up at the Portland tapings and you would have a stack of the newsletters and you, cause you would hand them out to the boys probably saved on postage, but they flocked to you. They came to you looking for the newest issue of Ring Around the Northwest. They were looking forward to it. And I'd see them in the dressing room between their matches, and they'd all be reading the interviews and reading the results and all that. You know, knowing you were doing that and the uh, the interest that it had from the boys and all that, you know, how did that make you feel? Because like you said, it was it's not you weren't making money. You didn't want to lose money, though. But it was uh, something that, you know, everybody looked forward to every month. You released every month, and the guys looked forward to seeing it. Well, I really appreciated that and and saw that they did enjoy. And I, I took something from that. I, I gave the bulletin a catchphrase, I, and I'd put it in there every every month, the bulletin the boys read or some, some words to that effect. And um, so that, that, that was kind of fun. And, they, and they'd always go, you know, they'd be quick to point out, this isn't right, or what are you talking about here? And, but it was all in in pretty good natured, natured fun. And, uh, I think when, when I would reach out, especially to the local boys, uh, if they were interested in doing a, an interview, there were not very many who, who turned it down. And I always had hoped that, you know, any publicity that I could get for anybody that that might increase their opportunities as well. Now, that's another thing we can kind of talk about, you know, you're mentioning the local boys and some of those you know, local boys interviews are in this book, but what our listeners don't realize is some of those local boys were Brian Danielson, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, you know, Luther, who we see obviously in AEW is part of chaos project. You know, at this time, these are the local boys as you uh, were referring to them. Also um, um, Tyson Kidd at that point in time, wrestling with TJ Wilson, uh, obviously gone from local boys to, you know, major international talents and all that. How is that kind of from that aspect of, you know, when you're interviewing them, they're still up and coming. They're still, you know, they're new to the business. And now you see them and they're, you know, worldwide superstars. That's um, the Brian Danielson interview. I've gone back and read it several times. And the one thing that's, Brian is just so, so, so lovable, right? <laughs> that's that's one of the words that I, I describe him. And I think in the intro, I said he's just someone, he talks a lot about enjoying reading. At the time of the interview, he's thinking like he's going to go back to community college and maybe just wrestle a little bit. And he, he wanted to study literature. And in the intro, it, it's like, 
I said that you just want to like hang out with him and pull out your book and just start reading with him, you know, <laughs> just, just to hang out with him. Um, so, but yes, having him, watching him wrestle and then imagining him, you know, 10 years later that he's going to be the, the WWE champion and uh, having, having his interview in the book, you know, helps. There's really a, a wide time period with Kyle O'Reilly and, and Luther and uh, Brian to have their interviews. You know, somebody who's maybe just following today, it's like, oh, I know these three people at, at least, and and maybe it'll be good to learn some more about other people. You know, some of the wrestlers reach into the 50s that we have in the book, and and uh, Nick Kozak and uh, Ricky Hunter and a few of Daniel McDonald, a few of the others. You know, they started in the 50s, so it's a it's a nice. Um, there's somebody in there for just about anybody's interest. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the book now. Uh, like I said, Excitement in the Air, Voices of Northwest Wrestling, Volume 1, uh, which you can purchase on Amazon. And, and funny enough, when you go to Amazon and go to purchase this, Amazon will recommend, you know, oh, we recommend buying this with this one. This is what people are doing. And your book is recommended along with Truth Be Told by Ian Douglas, who's been a guest on our show. In fact, was on here a couple of weeks ago to promote that book. So, you know, you're in good company on Amazon as far as, uh, you know, what, how, who to purchase the books with. It's, it's really funny. I, John Cosper helped me tremendously through the, through the process because I didn't really understand what, what was going on, what was happening. And um, my friend Frank Culbertson and I, we worked together, he edited it. And, and I said, I think we're ready to, to send it to John. And, and we sent it there, and I'm thinking, okay, it'll take three months now before it moves on to the next step. And I, I like to joke that I'm in my room, and I push send, and we send it to John. And I walked out of my room and into into the living room and picked up my uh, iPad, and it's for sale on Amazon. It just seemed like the process went that fast. It was, it was actually the next day, uh, but it, it went so fast. And I was, as I'm kind of, you know, marking out and looking at it as, as my book's now on Amazon, and I, I found a little feature. You go all the way to the bottom, and it'll tell you what number uh, you are in wrestling books. And that first day, it was number two in wrestling books behind the Moxley book. And it only stayed there maybe for a few hours or anything, but that was kind of exciting. <laughs> hey, it was there, man. Number two behind Mox. That's something you're always going to have. So. <laughs> you stopped the Bulletin in 2013. Um, I know that myself and a few others, we tried to talk you into doing like, you know, WordPress or the online blog to continue it going. But, you know, you, you, you stayed and retired the newsletter. What made you decide that, you know, you wanted to kind of take these interviews and compile them and put it together as a book? I've had um, one, of my, one of my readers a long time ago had told me that uh, I should do a book with these interviews. He kind of gave me that idea. And um, we were working together for a while, and then he had some health problems and kind of had to back back out of the, the project. And then I went to Scott, Scott Teal, and um, um, 
we thought that maybe you know in the future we'd work on something and and I think Scott kind of backed off on on a lot of the outside projects and everything and so then I was just sitting on it and kind of thinking and and I saw um Princess Victoria came out with a book with that she worked with John Cosper and and I saw her post if anybody is interested in doing their own bi- wrestling biography or uh John Cosper is the person to work with and I thought about that a little bit and this past summer I I had lunch with Frank and Frank said uh, you know we really should work together and and see if we can't get your book out and uh so then I I reached out to John and he gave me a couple options and said absolutely you know we'll we'll work together and and uh, get it done so it's a I'm shocked at how fast once we made a decision or once we started to working on it how uh, one thing is a lot of the interviews were already done they needed editing but the the primary source of the book was already done so that I know that's what helped speed the process along now when you're putting together the book and you're looking back at you said 1990 so you're looking at 23 years of interviews uh, looking back on them, you know, what were what were some of the ones that you you had might have forgotten about that you did, and were like, oh wow, I forgot about this, or oh I remember him said, don't remember him saying this, and you know, what kind of memories were they bringing back when you had a chance to go through the uh, you know over twenty years of interviews? Well, I would look at some of them, and it and it would be like, well, this one held up really well, or or this one isn't as good as I remembered, or. Um, you know, sometimes when you do an interview, sure you want to do the Luthezes and the the Dory Funk Juniors, and and but sometimes the most interesting interviews are not the biggest stars in wrestling. It just depends on how comfortable and how open and how willing wrestlers are to tell their story. One of my favorite interviews is one by Pat Brady. And he's just, he's a preliminary wrestler from Calgary and he worked in Vancouver and Portland short stints and he worked in the Maritimes. He's just one of the most intelligent people that I've ever, ever talked to. And his interview is not in the first one, but I'm hoping it'll be in the, in the second, um, uh, volume. But yeah, so many of them, um, just telling good stories and, uh, uh, Depending, you know, capturing their personality and who they are, and and telling funny stories and that people will enjoy. Um, and we, when we were trying to lay it out, we wanted to get a good mix, you know, of t- different time periods. Um, at one point, we had laid out three different um, possible volumes. And then it's like, okay, do we make the first one just as good as we can? Do we balance it out so some pretty good ones in the first one and pretty good ones in the, you know, how to balance it out and everything. And, and uh, I think we went from an idea of, of going from three volumes to two really good volumes. And then we'll see what happens after that. The, during your selection process, you said that, you know, you're trying to get a good balance from all the different uh, you know, areas and all that. And there's 27 interviews, and we've got names. You know, we got Don Owen, Bull Ramos, Dutch Savage, Brian Danielson, Luthez. Uh, we'll just go down a little. Tim Brooks, 
uh, someone from you know my area, obviously, you know, Waxahachie, Texas. Uh, but then you've also got, like I said, you got Luther in here. You've got a few names that people aren't going to know from there. Like, you know, Beauregard, the older fans are going to know, but a lot of your newer guys aren't going to know who Beauregard is. Uh, you've got Scotty Mack, who's obviously a, you know, big name in the Canada and, you know, ECCW and all that. Uh, what was the selection process, you know, and was it hard to decide, okay, this one's going to go in, but this one's not. You said there's going to be a second volume, so obviously we'll see some more. But what was the selection process like to whittle it down to these 27 interviews? I think it, a lot of it had to do with making sure that every time period was represented and balancing it so every time period will be represented in the next, next one as well. We didn't put all the very, very, or the interviews that we felt were the very, very best ones, so the, the second one will be viable as well. Um, but I think that was probably the most important thing, just representations from the different time periods. Now, doing these interviews, you know, when you're looking back, you're reading them, you know, you're being reminded of things. Um, I had, I brought up Killer Books. You know, he was in Portland for about a year, maybe two, uh, very well known here in Texas. I had the opportunity to sit with him at uh, CAC in 2006, my first one. And he told some very eloquent uh, stories about him and, you know, Roddy Piper that aren't really suitable for uh, public radio at, at noon on a Sunday. <laughs> But looking back and reading these interviews and the realizing of who you spoke to, what are some of the stories you remember that kind of stuck out that were memorable for either being just a great story or, as I said, in Killer Tim Brooks' case, something that may not be appropriate for, uh, you know, certain audiences? Well, I I'm, remember one that I believe, I'm sure it was Tim, Tim that told it. Uh, he and Roddy were in Medford. I believe, and they were driving home, and a preliminary wrestler by the name of Race Bannon uh, came up to their car, and he was leaving the territory, and and uh, he was saying goodbye to them, and uh, he said, <laughs> the last thing he said to them was, oh, by the way, I I put a snake in your car, and yeah, that's they, that's Tim and Roddy, <laughs> and they tell the the story of. Uh, driving along and and becoming paranoid and for a little bit and then forgetting about it for a little bit and and then kind of freaking out you know as time goes on uh, as their trip goes farther and farther and uh, I can't remember but the the I think they stopped and went in and, and got groceries or got snacks and things and they came back in and, and Roddy did find a snake in there. But, you know, they, the whole time it was a rib, you know, to make them scared. And they're, they're thinking, no, he didn't really do that. He just said it. So we'll fret and then <laughs> come to find out that he really did put the snake in there. Yeah. <laughs> that, yep, that's yep. probably the, most memorable story from from Tim's Tim's interview. Yeah, him and uh, Roddy driving down the street, stomping their feet with the heater turned up and all that. Yeah, to try to yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the story he regaled me with, if I can kind of edit it a little bit, uh, involved one of the boys. I can't remember who it was, but they had been with a lady that Tim had been with, and they got an infection somewhere, and Tim lanced it with a hot needle because he knew exactly what it was because he had been with the lady 
earlier in the day. And he told us this, uh, me and Joe Souza, he told us this story while we were having breakfast with him. So, and laughing the entire time. He thought it was the greatest story, like, ever. <laughs> That's funny. But, you know, like you said, it's the stories, though. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a story from, you know, Roddy Piper or Lou Fez. You know, sometimes some of the best books are the guys that, you know, they were there every day working, you know, matches every night. But all they did was to put the other guy over. But sometimes they've got the best stories, and those are the books that are the most interesting because, you know, one, they're going to tell you more just kind of like how it really was because, you know, they don't really have a career or a name that they've got to protect. So, you know, you sometimes get a more honest story out of them, and sometimes those are the best road stories are from those guys. Exactly. One of the – one of, I mentioned earlier that Ed Moretti is, is one of my best friends now, and, and uh, we did three interviews during the course of Ring Around the Northwest, and um, we have – one of the inter- we kind of condensed him into two. So he he's has one interview in the in the volume one. He's going to have another uh, interview in volume two. And I think it. I mentioned earlier it, it. A good interview will depend on how much the person's going to open up and you know how much confidence they feel maybe in the person that's interviewing them and and so with that I feel like Ed gave three of literally the best interviews I've ever read. Just so honest and so complete with his answers. And, uh, um, you know, 20 years after that first interview, I'll still have people comment on, on what a good interview that was. And that first one's in, in our volume one. I got to say, you know, the book is great. Uh, as we talked, um, I purchased copies of your interview. So I probably have like the, I probably have the original manuscript of all the volumes of excitement in the air collected. Um, I have a lot of collection of your interviews, but it's a great book. It was fun to go back and, uh, you know, to read them all, but I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn now because he's been sitting and listening to us uh, chat for a few minutes. So I'm sure he's got a couple questions. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I've been enjoying our guest today, Mike Rogers, the author of Excitement in the Air, The Voices of Northwest Wrestling, Volume 1. And uh, you talked about Ed Moretti and uh, having just a great experience with him with interviews. Can you remember and recall some of the guys that were a little bit, I mean, with kayfabe straddling the line uh, through the years, uh, could you tell us about some of the interviews or some of the people that you talked to that were uh, initially had their guard up and you were able to get into, uh, into a very com- good conversation with or maybe talk about the, the ones that, that besides Ed Moretti that were just ready to chat. Let's, let's hear about the ones that are a little bit more guarded and the ones who are a little bit more on the chatty side. Sure. I've got, I've got great examples of both. Um, Stan Stasiak, um, I didn't know him personally and had never met him, but he was on a hotline that Sandy Barr and Sandy Barr's uh, promotion, you would call up it to get the card that was coming up the following week. And for several hours a, a week, Stan Stasiak was on this hotline and he would answer questions. So you could call up and, and talk to him. So I laid out an interview and I called him up and, and explained that I did a bulletin and I'd love to ask some questions. And, and uh, so it was not exactly the, mm-hmm. the perfect setup, you know, as he doesn't know who I am really. And, and, but 
we went through the, you know, the basic interview and I was waiting for, uh, waiting for the end. <laughs> I had one question that I really, really wanted to, to know. I wanted to know the answer to this. And I, and I said, what was it like on the night that you beat Pedro? And did you find out that you were going to win the title that night? Or, you know, what was, what was the circumstances? And there, and I'm, I'm, I asked the question and I kind of hold my breath a moment and there's a, a, a big long pause. And he said, well, I won it. And I just went, oh, you know, I, I really would love to hear his true answer. But then you just have to respect, you know, you have to respect he's following kayfabe. And that's the, the line and the balance that you, that you go for. And the other example that I have is Bull Ramos. And to be honest, I would rather do an interview just by email because then I feel like I'm not bothering people. And if they want to answer, they can. But with that being said, obviously the best interviews and almost every one of these interviews were done on the phone. And it's just, it's just especially people of the generation of most of the wrestlers, they may not know how to type. So you're not okay. going to get a lot of extended answers, but they know how to talk. And so um, you get a, a much better interview on the phone. So I had reached out to Bull Ramos and, and I called him up and I had one, one great in, and sometimes this helps so much and my in with Bull Ramos is my wife played with Bull Ramos's daughter when they were little girls. And that's, that was the great icebreaker. <laughs> and uh, he was such a great interview. And uh, I had set aside two hours for this interview. Most interviews maybe go an hour. Mm -hmm. And I had set aside two hours, and then I had an appointment. I had to take my dog to the vet. And Bull Ramos is just talking and talking, and he and he's at the end he's urging me on, like, uh, ask me more questions. You know, <laughs> he was having just such a good time, and finally it got to the point it was like, I'm so sorry, I have to go. I could talk to you all day long, but I have to go. And uh, I I had met Frank, my editor, my friend yesterday, and I told him that was one of my regrets was not doing follow-up or just calling him back up just to talk some more and, and hearing some of his stories. Because uh, I, I, he really did a good job. He um, gave lots of details and lots of stories. Uh, some guys that... Another oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say... Uh, one more. Okay, one more. Um, a person who... It's, he's going to be in volume two. And uh, uh, John Tolos. And people had told me that he had never really done interviews, but I did have an in with him. And in one of the cauliflower alleys, he was visiting and he was ribbing Gene Kaninsky and he's walking around outside and, and I, I am just ta tagging along, listening to their stories and he's just ribbing Kaninsky endlessly. And we were headed back into the, into the lodge and there was an earthquake, a pretty big earthquake. 
and John had lived in Southern California, and that that's where the Kalafara was at that at that time. And uh, he just he's just riding it out, you know, going, oh, it's a big one. And um, Kaninsky and I have not much idea of what's going on. And and so later when I reached out to John, I said, I'm the fellow who was standing next to you during that earthquake. And uh, I really, really like his interview. I don't know how much kayfabe he broke, but I think he was very honest. He he just didn't rub, he didn't get his nose rubbed in it at, at my if I had to choose one question that I ever asked anybody, my favorite question was to John Tolos. And it was at, at the end of the interview, I, I said, John, I just have one more question. How do you spell wrestling? <laughs> and he goes, Oh, my boy. He goes, you do it. I go, no, no, you do it. And then I just hear it. I, I almost had to pull the phone away from my ear. He's, Shouts out, T-O-L-O-S. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so cool, man. So, so cool. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at some of the lists, and I'm, I am I have yet to read, the, get the book, uh, but I'm going to be uh, right after this interview today because some of the stories you've been sharing and, and some of the people that you cover, I mean, when we talk about old, uh, you know, legendary wrestlers, especially up here in AWA country, a couple of guys, uh, you know, Definitely uh, that you uh, cover in this interview book, uh, we got to chat a little bit about, one of which was Red Bastine. Now, this was a guy who not only did it in the ring, but he also had a big hand uh, behind the scenes in, was a big part of the uh, training wrestlers in the 80s, and of course, uh, a big role. He was a big part of the Cauliflower Alley Club. Let's talk a little bit about Red Bastine, the redhead. I, I mean, I got to see, we got to see stuff, uh, you know, I'm from the slightly younger generation, got to see some of his clips, got to hear a little bit about what he was like uh, through uh, George Shire, uh, one of my co-hosts of Wrestling Memories. But let's talk uh, a little bit about what you can remember chatting and, and, and getting to know Red Bastine. I got to know Red fairly well from seeing him at Dean's uh, reunions in Cauliflower Alley and, and such, such a great person. You know, no one has a, a bad thing to say about, about Red. And he was one of my early, early interviews. And um, I had seen him after the interview and after, the, after it was printed. And he said, like, oh, he goes, I did a bad job on that interview. He goes, I don't know what I was thinking. And it, it was just a case where he just didn't, you know, sometimes you have to feel like doing it, oh, I suppose. Sure. And he didn't go into a lot of details on the questions and everything. He still did a fine interview, but there's always that, that line between it's a pretty good interview and, oh, this is a great interview. But Red was always so funny and, and, uh, um, such a good person. Um, I really enjoyed knowing him. Uh, one time he sent me just a bunch of autographed pictures. He said he felt bad that I would always send him the bulletin, no matter you know if he was in it or not. I would just always send it to him, and he appreciated it. And uh, so he sent me. He goes, sell these. <laughs> he goes, make some, make some postage money. <laughs> 
<laughs> and another another gentleman uh, that was in the AWA made an appearance uh, from time to time in the seventies was uh, another guy who uh, had, you know he kind of disappeared off the ras- pro wrestling radar for a while uh, and uh, was discovered he was a mailman for a while until his retirement uh, from that field. But let's talk about before he was a mailman, he was the wild man. We're talking about Pampero Furpo and. This must have been a very fascinating interview uh, with, with, with Pampero back in the day. Talk about uh, how he was to, t- to chat with, how open he was and uh, about the business, and just what he was like, uh, just the, from the general gist you got from the interview. Oh, my gosh, another um, so intelligent, so intelligent and, and such a kind man. Um, it took a little bit to to edit it my my process was to record while i'm doing the interview and then you know replay it back and transcribe it back and uh, his accent and and his wording uh, took a little bit of time and and even when we edited it for the book um it took frank a little bit of because we tried to clean it up a little bit and not not change his thoughts but just make it a little more readable and uh but just because it didn't read smoothly, his ideas and his thoughts and uh, just a kind, smart man, that's, that's what really come across. And he was open. Um, we talked about, um, he came to Portland in 1964 and something went wrong during his time here. And he said, I don't like to talk about this. Uh, he obviously ran across somebody, had some troubles, and I can speculate who it might have been, but but there was no way that he was going to badmouth anybody. But he did talk about Dean Silverstone. He had met Dean and and how fond he was of him, and and at that time Dean was helping out with with the promotions, and and uh, so they got along very well together. And uh, he talked about he had a very severe injury in Hawaii. Um, the lining of his stomach had been perforated, and, and he had lost a lot of weight, and uh, he got well enough to, to make a comeback, and, and uh, I think he was injured again then. And, uh, he, he would talk about working with the Sheik and uh, his thoughts on the Sheik and and he, I, I really like to interview just, it opens up to what kind of a person he was. The wrestling is just kind of secondary, the wrestling stories, but just so impressed with, with who he was. We're talking with Mike Rogers, the author of Excitement in the Air, The Voices of Northwest Wrestling, Volume 1. Uh, on your list of guys you have featured in this uh, first volume uh, was was a man who held the championship multi multiple occasions. He was, uh, when you think about classic pro wrestling champions of yesteryear, it's one of those names that pops up every, almost every darn time because he earned his place. And he was around in, uh, yeah, he, he spent a lot of time, a lot of decades in the business before passing i'm talking about the man luthez and boy that again that must have been a one like you're kind of like 
and I would have been in awe to chat with Luthez just because what he brings as far as his history and, and what he, you know, what also he, he he's never been one to shy away from what he thinks about the business at the times. I mean, this was a guy that you definitely want to go sit under his learning tree. Talk about the, the Luthez experience uh, with you with chatting with Lou. Oh, ab- absolutely. I had somehow I had gotten his address maybe from Dean and written to him and, and, uh, um, asked if he'd be interested in doing an interview. And, and I had, I, I can't remember if I had met him at Dean's or if the interview had come first, but, um, I remember I'm, I'm dialing him up and I'm almost hyperventilating, right? He, he I know he's expecting my call. Uh-huh. I'm not calling him cold. Uh, but I remember within the first minute I was, but I was comfortable. I knew that it was going to be okay, and he was he was going to talk. And uh, Lou had then spent a lot of time in the Northwest, especially very early in his career. And uh, um, so, yeah, he he had the basis of, of knowledge of the Northwest, and I I was learning, you know, from that time period. We're talking about the the 40s and and everything, and. And one of the interesting things that I, I put in, I have a picture that I took with Lou and it was at Dean Silverstone's and it's hanging on my wall. And uh, one day I, I walked past it and I glanced up at it and Lou has his hand on my shoulder and I, I really looked at it and I go, oh my gosh, look how big Lou has his hand is. <laughs> and I go, it's bigger than my head. <laughs> and so that's in the intro to the to Lou's uh, uh, interview, and and the the pictures in there as well. His his hand is just engulfing my my shoulder. Another interesting thing about Lou is when Ed Moretti and I would would make a trip to a show or anything, we we'd touch on a bunch of different topics and and uh, the crazier topics of of wrestling and we we came up with a saying what what would lou say what would lou say about this or what would lou think about that and that came became kind of our go go to giggle thing that we we joke with each other about you know the crazy different aspects of of wrestling and and what would lou think about this and and i remember Asking Lou, like, ECW was at its prime when, when uh, I did this interview. And I asked him, you know, what he thought about ECW. And, and he did not have the reaction that I thought. He, I imagined that he would, you know, poo-poo it. And, and he goes, they're just ma- trying to make a living. And they're, you know, they're doing fine. And, and then he talked about the people who were in ECW at that time who he really considered a, a good, good at wrestling. And he was very complimentary of Taz at that point. He said he felt that Taz was really a, a good wrestler. And that's, that, I think that's what he was always looking out for, um, the, the guys who really, really could wrestle. And one more before I hand it back to Mike. Uh, again, this was another fascinating uh, subject. Uh, because you're not getting uh, this isn't uh, the guy who worked in the ring. This was uh, the office, and we're talking about a guy along with his brother who uh, ran Portland for so many years. It, it's one of those things that just goes hand in hand when you talk Portland wrestling history. 
Portland Wrestling, Don Owen. Let's uh, get some of your take on on uh, you know chatting with Don and 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 getting to know him and having uh, him and this interview uh, be in your uh, first uh, volume of Excitement in the Air. Well, when Don, when the Owens had their 60th anniversary, which I believe was 1980, 80s, I've lost track of exactly when that was. 1980, 86, 87. Um, when he had that show, it was it was the show that was just going to be so big. It was uh, Billy Jack and Ric Flair, and the Road Warriors were on the show, and the Hennings were on the show, and Rick Martel was defending the AWA title, and it was just the biggest show ever in Portland. Um, so I had written to him and said, I'd love to be able to interview you. Now, this is what was in my mind going down to Eugene, walking on his cattle farm, bonding over all the stories. You know, I really thought that that was an interview that should be done in person, you know, over an extended afternoon. So when I called him, he said, God damn it, you're the guy who's putting out that bulletin. (laughs) And I, I said, oh, this is not going the way I thought it would go. And he goes, okay. He goes, just mail it to me. Mail that interview to me, and I'll see what I can do. And I I mailed it away, and I'm thinking, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to hear back from him. But he did. He sent it back. It wasn't wasn't a lot of details, but it was, there were certain things that were eye-opening about it, and, uh, and I really, really appreciated him him doing that okay he didn't put any like secret confessions of what really happened at the bomber or anything like that no none of none of that but uh uh he he talked a little bit about lonnie a little bit about piper um and uh talked about how he got into into wrestling how his dad was a promoter and and uh but but short it's a short one (laughs) but i appreciated appreciated his his effort especially after after he didn't spare my feelings at all no 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 he was pretty blunt there to the point well i'm gonna bring mike mccurdy back to the conversation here on wrestling memories with mike rogers our special guest the author of excitement in the air the voices of northwest wrestling volume one all right mike here's one interview that I, I i i warned you i wanted to talk specifically about this one and you talked with glenn about you know the guys that were willing to talk and those that kind of weren't willing to this guy was willing to talk. It's an amazing interview. But then there was a little twist at the end after you did the interview. I would like you to tell Glenn and our listeners your experience with interviewing Dutch Savage. The one thing that I, I mentioned that I'd like to do a tie-in, if, if I can, with anybody that I'm interviewing, when I was probably about 14, Dutch would always do these interviews and he'd say like, I'm going to be in Seaside this Monday night. Wouldn't it be great if a fan brought me some salmon? <laughs> you know, because we're a coastal town. And, and uh, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I must, must bring Dutch Savage some salmon. And uh, so we went out and bought some salmon. I didn't go fishing. We went out and bought it and <laughs> iced it up and brought it to the show. And he's very, very thankful. And so... The years go on now I'm doing the bulletin and Dutch uh, had a website 
and he would answer questions at time and times. And so I emailed and said, I brought you some salmon in 1974, and now I do this bulletin, and would you like to do an interview? And later on, I learned that no conversation with Dutch will go smooth. And you'll talk to a lot of the wrestlers, and, and they'll tell you the same thing. Um, it's interesting, though, and I'll, I'll, I'll hop back to where we're going here, but you'll talk to the old-time wrestlers like Tim, Tim Brooks, and he'll have great things to say about Dutch, but the common denominator is they made money together. And you can overlook, you can overlook somebody that you don't really get along with as long as you're going to make money together. But a lot of the younger wrestlers who, who Dutch kind of herded over and, and, and uh, kind of was their boss... It was just hard because, like I said, no conversation ever goes smooth with Dutch. So he agreed, and we do the interview, and he is as honest and forthright and telling stories that are just great and unbelievable. And uh, our time comes to the end, and and he says, uh, I said, wow, you did a great job. Thank you. I, I appreciate it so much. And he goes, and then he says, you can't use this. And it's like, oh, what? <laughs> he goes, you can't, you can't use this. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm like dumbfounded. I don't, I don't know what he thought we were doing, you know, just visiting or <laughs> he knew I was doing a bulletin in an interview. And it's like, okay, okay, I, I, I won't use it. And I hung up and I go, well. I guess whoever goes first, we'll see if we, if we use it or not. <laughs> so luckily it is a fantastic interview and he did do a good job and he's very honest. And uh, I think people will enjoy that one. I thought it was, like I said, I thought it was a great interview and you I sat on it for what? Years? I did, How many years? I, yeah, probably about 10 years. I held off on it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There were there were a couple copies that might have, you know, leaked out in case, you know, you passed before Dutch. So that way we could make sure it got out there. But sure. Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll keep those names a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Something else I'd like to talk about real quick before we uh, wrap up this interview is, you know, at the end of the book, you know, you've got your thank yous to, you know, Frank Culbertson. How is Frank doing, by the way, on a personal note? Um, I haven't seen Frank since probably 2006. Frank's doing really well. He, um, um, we've had lunch probably about three or four times since this summer working and talking over our, the book and coming up with ideas. And, um, he'd been working at, a, doing some janitorial work at our Oregon convention center, but he is about ready to retire from that. And, uh, he's doing very well, very well. I, I always, I always liked Frank, you know, he didn't know me from Adam, but he, you know, Joe and I would go up there every month for the shows and all that. And, after a while, I just kind of became one of the de facto ring crew, you know, running this in the locker room. Hey, Mike, go get Luther for me. Okay. I mean, hey, he was letting me in for free. So Frank wanted something. I'd go do it. You know, sure. you can see me on his pay-per-view uh, ringside during the uh, the cage match between Bubba and uh, uh, Jeremy Blanchard because, you know, we were assigned to put the ring up that day. And in case the ring slipped, somebody had to be back there to put it back up on this. So. You you see me on Portland TV during that uh, and that pay per view. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Frank, well, Frank was a good guy. Were, I always liked him. Those shows were so much fun. Yeah, he did a good job. But uh, the one thing I want to ask about it, it's the dedication. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to read this verbatim from the book. I'd like to dedicate this book to my wife, Becky. Finally, after 32 years, I can answer your question about what I am doing in my wrestling room. Now you can go buy set slaps. Uh, care to explain this a little bit? And what were you doing in that wrestling room for 32 years your wife didn't know about? <laughs> well, I, I just go in my in my room here, and I uh, I work hard on recording history. And sometimes I do it just just as uh, something that's relaxing. I find relaxing. So I'll I'll take a year, and I'll take um, a promotion, and I'll just enter as much results as I can and to try and preserve history. And now I, I'm, I felt like at one point I thought I might have the most results, you know, of anybody, but then I found a couple websites here just recently within the last year. And, uh, I'll notice that some of my work is in, included in theirs because I'll, I'll say that that's a mistake. <laughs> that's a mistake that I made. And now it's here, but those websites have so much more than I ever had, but but that's one of the things I do is just go in and I'll I'll get lost in the rabbit hole of wrestling and wrestling results and and uh, so a lot of times I'll be in here for a couple hours and she hates coming into the wrestling room so I'll come out and she'll often say what what, what are you doing in there <laughs> I go wrestling I'm just doing wrestling. And then the other the other part of as a joke is we're doing some remodeling and and putting a new deck in here shortly and she is I don't know how many years she said I want to get slats for the for the fence to really give us a little more privacy and it's like yeah we can do that we can do that and she goes I don't know she goes it'll probably cost too much and uh, so that was my my joke to her to try and try and get a laugh out of her when uh, we could take any book money that comes along and get, get slats. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I've been, you, you, you've told me over the years that, you know, your wife is not the wrestling fan. That's kind of, you know, your, your job in the household. So, so I, I love the dedication, you know, and uh, I for one would like to thank your wife for kind of, you know, letting you and supporting you and what you were doing because, you know, with 30 years of ringing around the Northwest and now excitement in the air volume one, uh, you know, you're recording history of the Pacific Northwest that, you know, if it wasn't recorded, eventually it will be lost and you've done a great job with it. And I've enjoyed having you as a guest. And I'm sure when voices in the air or excitement in the air, voice volume two comes out, uh, Glenn, and I would love to have you back on again uh, to, to promote that book as well. But Mike, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's been so much fun visiting and, and getting a chance to talk about it and, and bringing up a lot of memories. So yeah, I definitely appreciate it. All right, Glenn, I'm going to pass the microphone back to you. Well, we're going to wrap up this edition of Wrestling Memories then and now. A big thank you to our guest, Mike Rogers. And for Mike Rogers and Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. So long for now. <laughs>